Hi, this is John Harcher. Welcome to episode 10 of Valleys of Numenor. This month is the 90th anniversary of the first appearance of the most famous barbarian of all, Conan. Author Robert E. Howard's best-known creation tore his way through the pages of weird tales in the early to mid-30s and left an indelible impression that lasts to this day. In Conan's life, he goes from a young thief to king of Aquilonia, mightiest kingdom of the Hyborian Age. But exactly how did he get there, since Howard wrote the stories in a random order? Over the next couple of episodes, we'll go over all of Howard's writing about the Chimerian and see if there's one right way to trace that path. Episode 10. Robert E. Howard's Conan the Barbarian. Construction of a Chronology? Part 1. Now, as we move from J.R.R. Tolkien to Robert E. Howard, I want to quickly address a story out there involving the two of them that's been around quite a while. The most recent example was House of the Dragon showrunner Ryan Condal's mention of the two while doing publicity for the show. He mentioned that Game of Thrones author George R.R. Martin was inspired by both Tolkien and Howard before tossing in that Tolkien was inspired by Howard as well. Now, Condal was the showrunner for the Amazon Conan series that got canceled, so he knows Howard very well. But considering there's no giant barbarian hulking his way through Middle-earth, it does seem to be a bit of a stretch. This idea seems to stem from two threads people want to tie together. First, Tolkien did say at one point he enjoyed the Conan stories. The quote likely comes from the mid-60s or so, right around the time the Conan stories appeared in paperback, as did Lord of the Rings, and both were very successful. Second, while it seemed unlikely a pulp magazine from the U.S. had wide distribution in the U.K., it turns out Weird Tales was available there in the 30s, so it is possible Tolkien may have read them. However, Knowing that Professor had been working on his Middle-earth stories around the time Howard was still in elementary school and was inspired by some of the same sources as Robert E. Howard, to say that Tolkien was inspired by him in any major fashion is just not correct. It's very unlikely. Tolkien said some nice things about the Conan stories. Let's just leave it at that. Now, before we talk about our subject in full, I first must thank those who set out on this trail before me. My work on these episodes is indebted to them. P. Schuyler Miller, Dr. John Clark, L. Sprague de Camp, Kevin Miller, Joe Marig, Dale Ripke, and Amra the Lion, the poster from the Conan.com boards back in the day. This particular take on the subjects could not have been written without the Hyborian Genesis essays by Patrice Lunier. They were beyond invaluable to crafting my entire thinking on the subject. Like a lot of people, I became a fan of Conan first thanks to the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie back in the 80s, then worked my way onto the original Conan stories and then onto Howard's other characters and genres. And like a lot of those people, my first Conans were the ace paperbacks edited by Elsbrod de Camp. He arranged the stories in chronological order in terms of Conan's life and added in additional material along the way to quote-unquote fill in gaps. Later, I learned this practice was, shall we say, controversial, which also would apply to DeCamp's guidance of the Howard catalog in general. I was disappointed in the mid-90s when Bayon Books put out a new series of Howard paperbacks, but the Conan stories were not included. 
It wasn't until Del Rey put out a Howard collection in the mid to late 2000s that I got a broader picture of what was going on. Thanks to those, my interest in all of Howard's work was re-energized. It was through those books that I found my way onto some of the Howard-related sites on the internet to find out more information and interact with other Howard fans. In some cases, fans is actually far too mild a term. A lot of them had done the type of scholarly work on his stories that one would expect from a study of the authors we were taught about in high school and college classes. Shakespeare, Mark Twain, Ernest Hemingway, those type of guys. Howard's widely varied work is worthy of further study, and people had taken upon themselves to do it. Through their work, common ideas about Howard and his writing were called into question, if not outright disproved. I won't go into the whole debate about Howard's frame of mind when he committed suicide at the age of 30 in 1936, but it was thanks to this kind of scholarship that the accepted view of his life and that event was pretty much refuted and proved wrong. Now, it wasn't all deep and philosophical. Some things were done just for fun as a kind of exercise. One of the first instances of quote-unquote amateur scholarship was done by a pair of readers of Weird Tales back in the 30s, P. Schuyler Miller and Dr. John Clark. By reading the original Conan stories, they worked out a chronology called A Probable Outline of Conan's Career. They sent it to Howard a few months before his death, and he said they basically got it right. Later in the 50s, Dr. Clark worked with the camp after Howard's agent found a number of unpublished stories to edit them and then figure out where they fit into Clark and Miller's previous chronology. It was here that the camp began the somewhat dubious process of rewriting Howard's stories instead of just editing them. Three of the discovered stories featured Conan. For the Frost Giant's Daughter and God in the Bowl, he rewrote certain passages but left the overall structure the same. The Black Stranger, however, was rewritten to change it into a story that leads directly into Conan's War for the Monarchy of Aquilonia and was renamed The Treasure of Tranicos. The original versions of these stories didn't appear until the 70s and 80s. I won't even get into DeCamp turning non-Conan stories into Conan stories. In the 60s, more of Howard's unpublished output about Conan appeared in public, there was a completed tale, Veil of Lost Women, and a number of unfinished drafts and synopses. Along with Lynn Carter, DeCamp wrote new stories and completed some of the unfinished drafts to be published in chronological order by Lancer Books. In 1965, with a now iconic Frank Frazetta cover, Conan the Adventurer sold millions and introduced the Barbarian to the wider general public. The debut of Conan the Barbarian in Marvel Comics in 1970 only added to this exposure. And of course, the movie in 1982 basically cemented him in the public's knowledge. It was around that time back in the early 70s that more amateur scholarship started taking place. Kevin Miller got the ball rolling by writing an article stating that the Frost Giant's Daughter and God in the Bowl were incorrectly placed in the Lancer books. Now, these were additional stories, so they didn't have the Howard stamp of approval that the Miller-Clark chronology did. Joe Marrick then challenged that accepted chronology by noting the devil and iron referred to a lost city in the Slithering Shadow. Except Slithering Shadow appeared after devil and iron in the chronology, so those stories had to swap places. He also noted that the chronology could be further shaken up. 
couple decades later, Dale Ripke did just that with his Darkstorm chronology, which among other things shifted Iron Shadows in the Moon and Beyond the Black River earlier than anyone had contemplated before. It was so well accepted that Dark Horse Comics used it as its official chronology for its Conan series. Until it didn't, but that's another story. Then in 2010, poster Amro the Lion on the Conan.com boards came out with an expansive and extensive revamped chronology, annotating each story with characters, geographic location, languages, a whole bunch of other stuff to argue for its placement of each in a chronology. Now, as I was reading the various chronologies, I began to think, were Miller and Clark actually wrong? When you look at what they had to work with, just the 16 appearances and weird tales up to that point in like late 1935, early 1936, apart from the one mistake Joe Merrick pointed out, it didn't look like it. It was when you start adding in the other stories they found along the way that the quote-unquote trouble started. So I thought about looking at the original chronology of what Miller and Clark were looking at to figure out their placements. Then later on, I take each additional unpublished story and fragment and other things like that to see which stories fit in nicely and which one required the other stories to move around. First, Miller and Clark got it right. Almost. For this episode, I'm going to use the titles as they appeared in Weird Tales in keeping with the idea of dealing with what Miller Clark had to use. Then, next episode, I'm going to use the titles that Howard gave them. I'll try to make it clear which is which is only one case where the titles are completely different, and that's not even getting into the whole Black Stranger Treasure of Tranicus thing. Now, I would suspect Miller Clark had two basic criteria for judging which story went where. First, if the story flat out said how old Conan was, and second, if it referred directly to another story. The best way to recreate their work is to take each story individually in the order they appeared in Weird Tales and slot them in one at a time. The first two are very simple. Phoenix on the Sword from December 1932 and Scarlet Citadel from January 1933 both take place when Conan was king of Aquilonia. The Scarlet Citadel referred to the death of the minstrel Rinaldo, which took place in Phoenix, so... These two stories were published in the correct order. The next story to appear was Tower of the Elephant in March 1933. Conan is directly referred to as a youth, so this story will be placed first. Next is Black Colossus in June 1933, where Conan lists his resume of blood feuds, tribal wars, and imperial campaigns. Since none of those happened in Tower of the Elephant, this story would take the next slot. The Slithering Shadow and Pool of the Black One appeared in consecutive months in September and October 1933. Slithering Shadow takes place in the aftermath of a war on Koth. Though that would certainly qualify as an imperial campaign, Conan seems to be more experienced than he did in Black Colossus, so it likely follows that story. Pool of the Black One takes place in the Western Sea, which is a far different place than the other stories, which generally took place in the center of the Hyborian world Howard created. So all four of these stories sort of fell into place one after the other. Now things get harder. Robeson House appeared in June 1934. Conan's occupation is thieving, so the most likely placement is with the other story where this is his stock in trade. Therefore, it follows Tower of the Elephant. Shadows in the Moonlight came next in April 1934. It takes place in the Indian Villiers Sea. It also has Conan as a member of the Kazaki working for a rebel prince of Koth. 
See, wasn't Conan working for a rebel prince of Koth and Slithering Shadow? It doesn't say they're the same prince, but we can kind of make an inference. Since the prince was dead in Slithering Shadow, this one must take place earlier, so put this one in between Black Colossus and Slithering Shadow. So far, so good. Next up is Queen of the Black Coast from May 1934. In Scarlet Citadel, Conan met up with someone who knew him from his days as a pirate on the southern coast. This story chronicles that part of his life. But when exactly did it happen? Conan is called young in years and unfamiliar with the sophistry of civilization, so it takes place after the thief stories. So slot this one in after Rogues and House. But hang on a second. Conan has a red cloak in this story. He also has a red cloak in Black Colossus, so... Is it possible this one belongs after Black Colossus? Miller and Clark decided no. Now here's another confusing thing. Shadows in the Moonlight and Queen of the Black Coast appeared in two consecutive months, April and May 1934, and both deal with Conan as a pirate, yet neither story mentioned the events of the other. You'd think in one instance or the other, he might have mentioned, hey, I've been a pirate before to somebody. A bit of information that might have helped Miller and Clark know for sure if their placement was correct was unknown to them, and just about everybody else for that matter. Only the author knew it, and the editor of Weird Tales as well. Next time when we get to the additional stories, I'll let you know what I think that bit of information is. And to confuse things just a little bit more, no one calls Conan Amra in Queen of the Black Coast, which according to Scarlet Citadel is a nickname he got from his Corsair days in the South. The Devil in Iron is next in August 1934. Conan is back as a Kazaki battling the King of Turan, Yezdegerd. Now hang on a second. In Shadows in the Moonlight, wasn't he called Yildiz? I guess Conan scorched his pantaloons pretty good because there's a new king. So this one fits in between Shadows in the Moonlight and Slithering Shadow. But hang on, remember that bit of info that Joe Merrick spotted? In Devil and Iron, Conan mentions a girl being drugged by something that has effects similar to the Black Lotus of Zuthal, which is the lost city he visits in Slithering Shadow. Now, if it's a lost city, how could he know about anything in it before he visited it? I honestly don't know how Miller Clark let this slip by. I guess they figured the two Villiers stories would be close to one another, but this story should correctly be placed after Slithering Shadow, so... <clears throat> One demerit for the Miller and Clark chronology. The next story is the multi-part epic People of the Black Circle, which ran from September to November 1934. It takes place in the same general area as The Devil in Iron, and Yezdegerd pops up again, so it's logical to place it right after Devil. After that is A Witch Shall Be Born in December 1934. Conan knows about the Kazaki chief Olgerd Vladislav, so most likely this story would take place after Shadows in the Moonlight. In March 1935, Jewels of Gwalar was published. In the opening, it says Conan was late of the Baraka Isles, which is where Pool the Black One took place. So this story follows Pool. Next up was Beyond the Black River in May and June 1935, where Conan was a scout in the Aquilonian Army. Since he was in the army when he led the rebellion that overthrew the king, it makes sense this, this story is set right before Phoenix. 
Shadows in Zambula from November 1935 refers to Conan as being a Zawagger chief, which is what he was in A Witch Shall Be Born. So this takes place after that story. Finally, the novel Hour of the Dragon was serialized over several months from December 1935 to April 1936. It's about a resurrected wizard's attempt to take over Aquilonia and Conan's battle to save his kingdom. Since he takes a wife at the end, or promises to, we place Hour of the Dragon after the other two king stories. So the list of weird tale stories in chronological order would read like this. Tower of the Elephant, Rogues in the House, Queen of the Black Coast, Black Colossus, Shadows in the Moonlight, A Witch Shall Be Born, Shadows in Zambula, Slithering Shadow, Devil in Iron, People of the Black Circle, Pool of the Black One, Red Nails, I'll get back to this, Jewels of Gwalor, Beyond the Black River, Phoenix on the Sword, Scarlet Citadel, and Hour of the Dragon. So like I said, apart from the one mistaken placement of Slithering Shadow, Miller and Clark did a pretty good job of sorting out a basic outline. A month after Howard's suicide, the story Red Nails appeared in Weird Tales starting in July 1936. Based on the line where Conan says the Singarans sank my last ship off the Shemite coast, Clark placed this story right after Pool of the Black One. Using their methodology, that's probably correct. But is it? As we'll see with the addition of other material, things that seem pretty obvious may not end up being that. One major thing they had in their favor was the letter from Howard himself giving a general stamp of approval. He also gave more details into Conan's life and adventures that didn't make it into the story. He'd stated Conan was born on a battlefield in Black Colossus and Hour of the Dragon, but in the letter he gave additional information, such as how Conan's grandfather came to the tribe in Chimeria. He also noted that Conan traveled in the north before his adventure in Tower of the Elephant. Was there another story Howard had in mind when discussing this? It turns out much more of Conan's life by his creator's hand was to come, even though within a few months of this letter, Howard would write no more. Directly related to that, there's one more story out there that may cause one other shift. Problem is, it's not exactly a Conan story, but at the same time, it kind of is. In March 1934, the fantasy fan magazine published a Howard story called Gods of the North. Its hero was Amra of Akbatana. Hmm. We've heard the name Amra before, and Akbatana is a city in the southern part of the Hyborian world. Amra is a warrior who's traveled a lot, so he'd have to be a kind of older guy, you know, late 20s, early to mid 30s, that kind of thing. Now, if you wanted to fit this story into Conan's world, you can think of Amra as a nom de guerre for Conan, who's been hiding out for some reason. As the famed Mexican philosopher Tuco Benedito Pacifico Juan Maria Ramirez once said, one name's as good as another. So looking at the lead character in a barbaric helmet, we can slot this in after Queen of the Black Coast. But Amra has done a lot of traveling, so you'd think at least one other story would fit in there. Conan is a mercenary on the run at the beginning of Queen of the Black Coast. What other story has him as a young mercenary, Black Colossus. So if you wanted to slot gods in the north in there as a Conan story, a flip of Black Colossus before Queen of the Black Coast might make that easier. So a half a point off for that if you want to use this story. But since this wasn't directly a Conan story, we can give him a pass on it. 
Now, remember Howard said Conan did go north, but that was very early in his life. That description wouldn't fit this version of the story. Like many legends, there are many variations of stories out there. And like many times in the past, if he didn't sell a story, Howard reworked it and tried to sell it elsewhere. Turns out that's what happened here, as it did with the very first Conan story as well. More on that next episode. Next time, we'll go over the Conan stories in the order that Howard wrote them. We'll also add in various drafts, fragments, and synopses to further piece together what the Texan had in mind for his barbarian creation. That's next time at Valleys of Numenor. Please hit the subscribe button if you like what you're hearing. I'm John Harcher. Thanks for listening.